Today on Do Laws, we're going to talk about what a real man is. I'm Levi Bimba, and this is Do Laws. So before today's episode, I want to tell you about my coaching practice. If you want a plan that can help you get out of debt, uh, budget your money, give you a, really a strong foundation from which you can really learn to how, how to budget your money, how to save it, how to invest it, and not just invest it for yourself, but be a blessing to your children and your grandchildren, and to really build durable wealth for you and your family, then contact me today at ramseycoach.com slash Coaching. Don't get stuck in the paycheck to paycheck rut. You can get out of that. You can really build wealth that can be a blessing to you and many of the other, uh, other people in your life that you would love to help if you just have the resources to do so. And you can do that if you're willing to contact me today for a free consultation at ramseycoach.com slash coaching today. So in today's society, uh, the, de the definition of man and masculine really has been almost so confused to the point that it's almost been eliminated. We don't really even know what a man is. You've seen uh, the clips of Matt Walsh's documentary, What is a Woman? Or you may have heard about it, where he goes around asking people, what is a woman? And people are struggling to figure out what the answer is. But I think it's the same thing about what a man is. We don't know what a man is. We don't know how we can define a man and what a man looks like, what a man does, how a man thinks, how a man reacts. We just don't know because the society has so confused the issue because they do not want to accept what already has been revealed to us by God. So we hear statements today like men can get pregnant. And when I hear about men getting pregnant, I'm like, why would you want to? You don't have the, <laughs> the equipment to bring a baby into the world, nor would you want to. That sounds like you would die if you, if you could get pregnant and deliver a baby. We hear other crazy statements like trans women are women. And for those of you who are still kind of confused about this whole trans issue, trans women are men who are pretending to be women. And so this is a natural born man who's dressing up and even willing to go so far as to carve up his body to look like a woman, which kind of tells you that they know there's an objective standard of what a woman looks like. And so we're trying to match that standard by going through all these difficult and, and really disgusting surgeries to kind of carve your body up to make yourself look like a, a, a woman. We hear other statements like there are more than two genders or gender and sex are different. And again, these are just going right against the laws of God that he has set down in nature where he made them male and female. In Genesis 127, we read that clearly. God is the inventor of male and female. And the more the world fights against it, the more they'll be confused, the more they'll be unhappy and upset with how God has ordained things to go because he knows exactly how they ought to go. And we don't like how God is in control. We want to be our own God. So we're going to go against everything that God has ordained. And we see that today, especially within uh, the United States. So obviously, like I mentioned, the, per the popular question, what is a woman, has been going around because of Matt Walsh's documentary. And people have been, uh, have a lot of, as far as I've read uh, and seen, the audience has loved, have, has loved it. A lot of people didn't even want to review it. A lot of the main reviewers didn't want to review it because it goes against their worldview. And they didn't want to have anybody defining what, he, defining what a woman is. And full disclosure, I haven't seen it. I just, I've heard that people have been uh, blessed by it and encouraged by it. Although it has been missing um, the ultimate, <laughs> I think, authority, which is God. And I think if you leave that out, you're really uh, just ceding the argument to, to the left. But today I want to answer what a man is. What is a man? How do we define what a man is? Because I think the, the quicker we can define uh, these terms, the quicker we're able to understand what they are and even apply them to our lives. And uh, So I want to commend to you a, a book that we're going through in our church called Think Biblically. It's by John MacArthur, along with many other faculty and staff at the Master's University there out in uh, uh, California. 
but they wrote a book about various topics like art, literature, uh, economics, masculinity, femininity, uh, sin, creation, all different kinds of topics, all pointing us to the Bible to define these terms and to really think about them biblically, which is why the book is called Think Biblically. But in there, they talk about the topic of masculinity. We just covered it in our church, and I thought, and the chapter really was helpful and convicting and showing us how far we have gone astray from the ideal standard of a manhood. But Stuart Scott, who is a graduate professor of biblical counseling at the Masters University, he wrote the he wrote the chapter on masculinity and thinking biblically about masculinity. So I wanted to glean from what he has written and share that with you. But I want to first start off by what he wrote in the in the first chapter or in his chapter where he says a biblical worldview must definitely encompass one's view of men and women basic beliefs about who each sex is and what each should be like greatly impacts one's own gender evaluations as well as the shaping of boys and girls the education of young men and women the success of marriages the effectiveness of the church in the world and even the even even the stability of society One's view of a man or a woman affects attitudes, character, and interaction with one another. And obviously that's true. If you don't know what something is, you don't know how to operate it. You don't know how to use it correctly. If you put a young boy in front of a car, he's not going to know exactly what to do with it other than mess around and play and push buttons. And he may mess up the car, especially if it's on and moving. He can kill himself or kill somebody else because they don't know how to treat and relate to something that they don't understand. And so it's the same way with human beings, and that can have a devastating effect. We don't know what a woman is, what a man is. We don't know how to relate properly to each one, and then we end up completely uh, devastating a society because we don't understand how God made it and how we should relate to, to it. So he also continues in, on page 157, where he says, there are, there are a number of reasons why this kind of wisdom will get a person nowhere close to God's standard. And he says this kind of wisdom is relating to uh, self-wisdom, uh, postmodern wisdom, where I define what a man is, I define what good is, I define what evil is, and I don't, I don't have any other, other objective standard. But he continues and he says, first of all, man's own ideas and desires are very often selfish and self-serving. Second, culture has historically followed man's depravity. Third, American role models today basically consist of pathetic, immoral sports figures, movie stars, and rock musicians. And if you look at the lives of a lot of athletes, a lot of movie stars, there are not any lives that you want to emulate if you want to live a life that is pleasing to God. It's not even close. Uh, but this is the key, and I thought it was really important when he said this. Finally, the higher educational systems of the day are, for the most part, based on the study of unsaved people by unsaved people. People. As a result, there is a great reluctance on the part of typical Americans to make any statement about what is truly masculine. And I thought that was very insightful because if we are having people trying to define what masculinity is, but they're unsaved. So they're obviously not going to the word of God to find that. And then they're using their studies to study other unsaved people who also are not living their lives in accordance with the word of God, that we're going to obviously have a bad definition of what a man is because we're starting from a bad premise. If we're not starting with the right authority, we're going to have a, a bad conclusion regarding these issues. And another quote that he had uh, was that he says, there is no clear understanding of masculinity in society because it has generally forsaken the only dependable absolute there is, the word of God, God's word. Humans need to know what God has to say about man and his masculinity. God's truth is timeless and transcultural. Furthermore, it is completely sufficient to be the guide for becoming the kind of men God intended. One must, in submission and obedience, align his thinking and actions with Scripture in order to understand and live out masculinity for the right reason, which is God's glory. And that's exactly true. We don't have a right understanding of what a man is 
by the word of God, then we're going to get messed up everywhere else regarding what men should be. And this is man is not what an American man should be versus what a European man should be versus what an African man should be versus what an Australian man should be. A man is by definition a man. Every, every man can be a man, a true man everywhere based on the word of God. And God's word is not limited by country, it's not limited by history, it's not limited by culture or society or, or upbringing. It has a defined objective meaning, and we're about to find out exactly what that is. So, but if you look in the dictionary today, in Webster's Collegiate Dictionary, it's mas if, as it defines masculine or masculinity, it says male or having qualities appropriate with a man, which obviously does not help. If you are a young man trying to figure out what a man is, going to the, web, the dictionary is not going to get you there. Going to secular ideology is not going to get you there. Uh, so the world cannot help in this. But thankfully, the Bible tells us with plain uh, clarity exactly what a man is. So we're going to start off with the basic characteristics of a man. And again, I, I gleaned this from the book Think Biblically by Stuart Scott, uh, or by John MacArthur, along with Stuart Scott and other people along in the uh, Master's University. But he says that the basic characteristics of man are, there's about six of them, but the first base, basic characteristic of men is that we were created in the image of God. Men were created in the image of God. Genesis 1.27 says, And God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So we are relating, we have a, a special relationship with God. We can reason, we have a soul. Uh, animals don't have souls. They don't have the breath of life breathing them as, as God breathed into Adam. So we relate to God and, and are like God in the fact that we are made in his image. So we have that value, that respect, that dignity of being made in God's image. Second basic characteristic of a man is that he was created to be a worshiper. And Romans 1, 21 to 25 says, For even though they knew God, they did not glorify him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the likeness of corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. Therefore, God gave them over in the lust of their hearts to impurity so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. So we were created to worship God, but because we did not want to worship God, we disobeyed God in Adam. Adam disobeyed God and ate the fruit. Now we all are born into the world wanting to worship ourselves or worship sports or worship money or worship even women in a really perverse way. And so when we are not worshiping God and worshiping these other things, we're going to have a messed up society. And you see that today. But also another basic characteristic of men is that man is a sinner by nature since the fall. Romans 3.12 says, All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. There is none who does good. There is not even one. So no man can say he is a good man because by nature we are not. We are sinners. We do things that are wrong. We, we are evil. We are wicked. We are selfish. We are arrogant. We are proudful. We are boastful. And all of these are or even characteristics that you would see a lot of men are worshiping. I wish I was more proud, more boastful, more strong, and as if these are things that are, are defining your manhood, which they are not. And again, if we go to the world's definitions of man, we're always going to get it wrong. Another basic characteristic of a man is that he is in need of God's saving grace. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. John 3.16. So we are, all, we are all in need of God's saving grace. So men and women share all of these, so, but these are all basic characteristics of, of, of mankind as a whole, except for the last one. So man was not created self-sufficient, but needing God and others. Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit, for apart from me, you can do nothing. Which again shows Jesus' deity. Apart from Christ, apart from Jesus Christ, nobody can do anything because we can't exist 
without him without his sustaining power so we are not as men created to be self-sufficient we can't do things on our own we need one another we need, we need help we need counsel if there's a man who says i don't need wisdom i don't need counsel i'm just going to do what i want to do and i don't need your input on this i don't need to follow your counsel that's sinful that's wrong that's arrogant and that's really a fool in god's eyes and what man isn't guilty of going down that route of thinking i don't need advice from anybody i'm just going to do what i want i think all men in some respect are guilty of doing that at one point in life but god says that that's foolish. We have to remember that we can't even exist without God. So how foolish it is to think that we don't need anybody else's input when we definitely need God's sustaining grace day by day. And finally, man was created to be different from women and, and vice versa. Woman was created to be different from man. Going back to Genesis 121, uh, 127, God made us male and female and both in his image, but with different roles, different likes, uh, different desires, different ways of, of uh, of doing things and, re and relating to the world. So with those basic characteristics in mind, we can look at the perfect standard of manhood, the, per per the perfect masculine male, the perfect man, obviously the Lord Jesus Christ. And we thank God for revealing Christ to us because he not only is our savior and our Lord and our God, but he also shows us what a true man is, what a man looks like because he lived on this earth for 30 plus years and lived the life of a perfect man. And we're going to look at those uh, qualities brought out by Stuart Scott again in the book, Think Biblically. Please get it if you need it. I think every man should read this book because every man needs to think biblically and teach his wife, teach his children, and teach other men learn to learn how to think biblically uh, so that we can all have a more uh, a society that glorifies God more so. Well, the first quality that Stuart Scott brings out about a biblical man, about the perfect biblical man, which is Jesus, he says, Jesus had an eternal mindset. What does that mean to have an eternal mindset? Well, it means that he did the will of his father. He did what was right in the eyes of God. Jesus said in John 4, 34, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Uh, Jesus was also filled with the spirit, filled with the word of God. So he wasn't filled with the world's wisdom and the world's way. So he did the will of God he was, and he was filled with the wisdom of God, namely in the scriptures, the word of God. So he studied the word of God. He knew the word of God. So if you were going to be a man, you need to be a man who is filled with the word, who knows the word of God, who studies it, who reads it, who tries to think biblically and reason through things, not in his own wisdom, not in the wisdom of the world, but in the wisdom that God has given to us in his word. So another quality of having the eternal mindset is giving the gospel to others and not temporary pleasures or relief. Uh, in Mark 1, 14 to 15, it says, now after John had been delivered up into custody, Jesus came into Galilee, preaching the gospel of God and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So Jesus gave the gospel to others. That was part of having an eternal mindset, because, again, we have to remember that we are finite beings as far as living in this world temporarily. We have eternal souls, but these bodies will die one day and we have to stand before God and give an account and either enter into heaven by God's grace and mercy in Christ or we go to hell for our sin, for not believing in, in the Lord Jesus Christ. So we have to have that eternal mindset, realizing that everybody we see, everybody that we come across, they will die one day and have to give an account. So we have to be in the, in the mindset of giving the gospel uh, to others. And that's what that's part of having that eternal mindset. Another part of having the eternal mindset is living a holy and obedient life and not being full of sin. First Peter 2, 22 to 23. Jesus, uh, talking about Jesus, it says, He did no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth, who being reviled was not reviling in return. While suffering, he was uttering no threats, but kept, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. So part of having that eternal mindset is not being caught up in vengeance, not being caught up in anger and wrath and, and showing yourself to be assertive and, and showing yourself to be uh, 
uh, vengeful and wanting to get people back for what they do to you, but you endure suffering, you endure hardship, you endure trials uh, with joy, with happiness, with gladness, and, and you go through it knowing that God is with you and knowing that God will judge righteously in that situation. And you don't have to be the, the avenger for yourself because God tells us himself that vengeance is his and not ours. So that's the first quality of having, uh, of being the perfect man. If, we, if you want to be like Christ, have an eternal mindset. The second quality that you need to have is having a loving and understanding heart to, to really showing love and being understanding to those around you. So, and part of that is seeking the needs, seeking to meet the needs of others and not uncaring or self-focused. So that's part of being a man is looking out for the needs of others, looking to help those in need, especially those within your closest uh, realm of influence, which usually is your wife, your children, um, your brothers and sisters in Christ. How are you seeking the needs of others? Are you self-focused? Are you just trying to care and worry about what you want to do and how you want to live and what you want to do day by day? Or are you looking at others and looking at how you can serve others? Another one is being sacrificed, is being sacrificing of yourself and your own desires, not self-preserving or selfish, not looking to do your own will or your own way, but looking to serve others. And Jesus did this even by serving his own disciples and washing their feet and feeding them and clothing them and teaching them. He, all of that was for them, not for him, not for his own glory, but to glorify his father by teaching and serving and loving those that God had, had given him. Another quality of having love and, and being understanding is he was gentle whenever possible. He wasn't harsh and demanding. He told people to come uh, to him and, and to, for him to bear their burdens and see that he was a gentle, he was meek and lowly in heart. He was willing to uh, serve and, and really treat his disciples with, with compassion and love. He, even the lost, even those that didn't believe in him, he still was willing to heal them and provide food and love to, towards them. And that's part of having that love and understanding uh, 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 mindset and behaviors. Uh, so if you want to be a true man, if you want to be a man like Christ, you have to have an eternal mindset. You have to have love and understanding. The third quality that you want to have, if you want to be like Christ, the perfect man, was to have, you have to have zeal, you have to have courage, you have to have confidence, not because of yourself, but because of God and his promises. So Jesus led the disciples and others. He wasn't a follower when he shouldn't be. He didn't just go along to get along. He didn't just follow the crowd and do what they did. He did what was right in the eyes of God and uh, led others to do this, to, to, to do the same, to do the will of God. Uh, Jesus also showed initiative when he should have and not waiting for somebody else. Something that my dad reminded me constantly growing up. Levi, take initiative. Do, take initiative. Don't wait to be told to do something. Go do it. Uh, find something to do and do it. Don't wait to be said, you know, go do X, Y, and Z. If you want to be a man, learn to be, uh, learn to take initiative, set the tone, uh, be uh, responsible, be uh, leading people that are, are uh, that are behind you and, and telling them what to do. Not in a self-serving way, but in a way that is serving to them you know, and teaching them what the right way is. So take initiative. Don't wait for somebody else to do something. You take control of the finances. You take control of working. You take control of the discipline. You take control of the spiritual tone for your family. That's the mandate of a perfect man. Uh, also, part of having that zeal and courage and confidence is being able to confront when necessary, not being a compromiser or a man pleaser. And we definitely see Jesus doing that in Matthew 23 when he confronted the Pharisees for their hypocrisy, for their lying, for their blind, uh, for their blindness. He didn't mince, mince words. Uh, he, had very, he had a lot of patience with them. He answered questions. But when it came down to it, he had to confront them in their sin and tell them that they will die in their sin and go to hell if they don't repent of their pride and their arrogance. And so Jesus confronted when necessary. He didn't compromise. He didn't do things to please men. He didn't care about necessarily how things landed or how, or how he offended them uh, because he had to tell the truth. He had to do it in love 
And the Bible tells us, tells us to speak the truth in love, and Jesus did that perfectly. And we see that example in Matthew 23 and also in Mark 11, verses 15 to 18. Also, part of having courage and confidence and zeal is being decisive according to God's revealed will. Jesus was not wishy-washy or afraid. And we see a good example of that in Mark 8, 31 to 38, where it says, And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. And after three days, rise again. And he was stating the matter openly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. So this is Peter, you know, the bold, brash disciple, clearly not thinking. Just imagine taking the God of the universe aside and rebuking him for what he had just said. <laughs> so Jesus, and so it says, but turning around and seeing his, his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on God's interest, but man's. And he summoned the crowd with his, with his disciples and, and said to them, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words and this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of him. When he comes in the glory of his father with the holy angel, angels. So he took he took Peter and reminded him who Peter you know reminded Peter that you are of your father the devil. You're being like Satan right now by telling me that you don't agree with what God has told me needs to happen for me to accomplish His will. You're going against God. So he confronted Peter with really in bold terms, saying you are. Satan. He called him Satan. He didn't say you're being like Satan. He actually said you are Satan because what is the, what is the quality of Satan? You are going, you're setting your mind not on God's interest, but on man's interest. That's a chief quality of being like the devil. You're so concerned about man's interest and you're not concerned about God's interest. That's, that's demonic. That's devilish. So he, com he confronted Peter in that. So another, another quality of being like Christ, the perfect man, is conscientiousness, fulfilling responsibility, not being irresponsible, being diligent, not lazy or a quitter, something that Clearly, I definitely need to work on in my own, in my own life, being diligent, being uh, con consistent and working hard and being uh, responsible. And this is something that men need to fight against because our default position is laziness. Our default position is sitting around and not getting anything done. Our default position is waiting for somebody else to take the lead and, and to get that done because we are all sinners by nature. And we need to learn to really fight against that nature that, we've, that we have naturally. And the only way we can truly fight against that is submitting ourselves to the word of God, to the Lordship of Christ, and, and being walking in obedience in the power of the Spirit to go against that default condition of laziness and, and irresponsibility. Uh, and then the last quality of, of being like Christ is humility. Jesus served and listened to others in his leadership. He didn't proudly lord it over others. He didn't say, hey, it's my way or the highway, or you need to, you need, you need to just do what I say and, 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 and not do anything against me or, or do anything that would make me upset. Uh, Jesus was very patient, very loving. Now, <clears throat> to be clear, he is Lord of the universe. So te technically, it, it is his way or you die in your sin and go to hell. But in the way that he related to his disciples, he did it out of love. He did it out of care. And we see an example of that in John 13, 2 through 17, where he washed his disciples' feet and he gave the example of no slave is greater than his master. So if I, your master, am washing your feet, so you ought to do to others. You, should, you ought to be willing to submit yourself to the desires and wills of others as long as they are godly and serve them out of love and out of humility. You are not better than them. Uh, you are their servants. You need to lead by serving. 
And he also did. He also showed his humility by not glorifying himself or getting attention for himself or recognizing himself. But he did that by glorifying another, chiefly his father. He did everything for the glory of his father, not for his own glory, but for God's glory. And we see that in John 8, verse 50. So what does it look like now that here on earth, now that we have that eternal picture, we have that uh, we have humility, we have conscientiousness, we have zeal and courage and confidence because of God and his promises. We have that love and understanding heart. What does that look like and how does that how is that borne out in our lives as men today? What does it look like? What qualities should we have in our own lives? Uh, not just uh, the qualities that I mentioned, because those are qualities that we obviously we should have. But what should it look like? What should be the the, um, the acts that we do, the roles that we take as being true men in society? And Stuart Scott has some helpful words for us in his book. And he talks about four different acts that we should have as men who want to be like Christ. The first one is that men should be leaders. And I'm going to read again from the book, Think Biblically, and I want to read some more excerpts from that. And Stuart Scott talks about when it comes to a leader, he says, when God placed man in the garden, he gave him specific instructions. Adam was to care for the garden, to oversee it. He was given charge of it, even though God could have done a much better job himself. He made it clear that Eve was to assist Adam in the work he had been given to do. She was to be his helper. God did not say, Eve, you take this half, Adam, you take the other. Adam was to lead, Eve was to help and to follow. Later in scripture, husbands are clearly instructed to be the head in the marriage relationship and women are commanded to submit to the husband's leadership and to respect his God-given position. So this is what we ought to do as men. We ought to be the leaders of the home. We ought to uh, show our wives what to do, how to do it. Uh, we ought to show them uh, really to, to really get advice also from them as well. As we just read, Jesus didn't just do things. He, also, he actually, actually listened to others and responded well to what they had to say. Sometimes he had to rebuke them, but sometimes he uh, was comm commended them for their confession. So we as men need to lead in that respect as well. And he goes on and, and quotes Douglas Wilson. And he says, our boys need to learn humility and they also need to learn boldness and courage. The only way to accomplish this balance is through a grasp of who God is. Because we have ceased teaching that God is our father, we, with the attributes of divine father, we have lost an understanding of, Im of imitative masculinity. Because of this, our boys veer into one of two ditches. Either they embrace humility without boldness, which in boys is effeminate, or they embrace boldness without humility, which is destructive, both of which is sinful. It's, it's sinful to be effeminate, and it's sinful, obviously, to be destructive. So when it comes to leading, uh, I want to also bring out something that uh, Stuart Scott says. He says, this absolutely says nothing positive or negative about a woman's capabilities or personal equality. I want to say that again, because I think we live in a highly feminized society. So when you hear that men should lead, we automatically think that women can't lead or women are dumb and stupid and just need to be told what to do. That's exactly the opposite of what the Bible says. Uh, so I want to read that again. He says, this absolutely says nothing positive or negative about a woman's capabilities or personal equality. God simply chose to give this role to the man. In any endeavor, there must be an ultimate leader. God chose and equipped Adam for this role. If leadership is a God-given role for men, then each man needs to find the way to lead. So this is not this is not disparaging of women. This is this is showing that this that God had a perfect uh, mandate, a perfect role for men to play, and the men is to, supposed to lead. That's how God set it up. The qualities that each one that each one must strongly possess in order to carry out a leadership role are wisdom, which means having a full knowledge of the word of God, facts and persons, and then a thoughtful application of biblical principles, uh, initiative, decisiveness, humility, courage, and personal involvement. So if you want to be a man who leads, you need to be full of the word of God, full of knowledge, full of facts, and then 
having uh, and then applying biblical principle and then using those biblical principles to be initiative, to be decisive, to be humble, to be cur courageous and being personally involved in the affairs of, of the home, your wife, your children, the finances, working, the, the operation of the home. You need to be in charge of that. That's part of being a leader. The second quality that we need to have that's worked out in our lives is to be a lover, a lover. And Stuart Scott says this, at creation, Adam and Eve were given to each other as marital companions. This intention for marriage is further made clear later in scripture. Certainly love is involved in this kind of companionship. In the New Testament, husbands are singled out as needing to exemplify the kind of sacrificial love that Christ has for the church. So we are supposed to be loving our wives as Christ loved the church. And how did Christ love the church? He loved her even to the point of death, even to the point of giving up his own life. And not to do his own will, but to do the will of God. And the will of God chiefly was for Christ to die for the sake of the church. So we have to be loving our wives in, the, in respect to live, willing to lay down our own lives, our own desires, and to, f to fulfill theirs. And that's the chief love that we can have and ought to have for our wives and for those around us. And he says, a true man then will excel in qualities that show love, such as giving, gentleness, consideration, kindness, servanthood, and self-sacrifice. The other quality, the next one, is being a protector. And he says, the natural outworking of the roles of leader and lover produces the role of protector. After the fall, it certainly became part of Adam's job description to protect his wife. As a supreme leader and lover, God has made a commitment to protect believers. A man must make the same commitment to protect his wife, his children, and his church. So we need to be uh, on guard against those who wish to attack our families, those who wish to attack our children, our homes, our churches. We as men need to be at the, at the door, at the front lines to protect and really be uh, aware of the attacks that are, are, that are uh, constant really against the home, against the family, against the church. And we need to be aware of those. So he says, the qualities a man must clearly possess before he will be a good protector are courage, boldness, strength, both physical and spiritual, and watchfulness. So I think uh, spiritual and physical obviously are important. I think spiritual is way more important than physical, but physical is important because I think we are not, we don't have the energy, we don't have the physical stamina to, to be active and involved in protecting, then we're most likely going to fail when the moment comes. So we need to be active in, and really taking care of our bodies and, being, and exercising regularly. But even more than that, as important as physical exercises, we need to be mastering the Bible, mastering the Word of God, mastering thinking biblically so that we can know how to protect and guard and be bold and, and lead and love rightly in the eyes of God. And then the last quality, obviously, really, is just to be extremely obvious, is to be a provider. And he says the roles of leader and lover automatically encompass the idea of provision. God, as the one who leads and loves, also provides for every true need. Husbands and fathers are specifically given the role of provider in the New Testament. And we see that definitely in 1 Timothy 5.8 where it says uh, every man, everybody should take care of his own household. Or if you don't, you're worse than an unbeliever. You're worse than somebody who is going to hell. Because naturally, even unbelievers know that they ought to take care of their wives and of their children. So how much more Christians who have the truth of God revealed and, understand, and understood and have the power to follow it in a greater capacity, we should definitely understand that providing for the home, food, clothing, shelter, the basic necessities of life, we should be the ones who are foremost in providing for those things for our families. So he says, men should seek to meet the true needs of those whom God has placed in their care, whether physical or spiritual. In order to fulfill this role, a truly masculine man will abound in the characteristics of diligence, hard work, personal involvement, and servanthood. He will also do all that he can to acquire a good job that allows him to care well for those he must love 
and lead. So if you want to be a true man, we'll go back over this real quick. If you want to be like Christ, you have to have an eternal mindset. You have to have love and understanding. You have to have zeal, courage, and confidence because of God and his promises. You have to be conscientious, meaning you have to fulfill your responsibilities and be diligent. And you have to be humble. And all of that works itself out by being a leader, a provider, a protector, and being full of love for those that are around you. So what does it mean to be a man? I think he actually gives a great definition at the end, and I want to read it real quick. He says, masculinity, the possession and pursuit of redeemed perspective and character enhanced by qualities consistent with the distinguishing male roles of leading, loving, protecting, and providing all for the glory of God. So if you want to be a man, look to Christ, look to how he operated, look to, look to his, his eternal mindset, look to his love, his understanding, look to his courage and his zeal, look to his responsibility, his conscientiousness, look to his humility, and you will find yourself becoming more and more like Christ, the perfect man, that, and that it will ultimately glorify God and benefit society. So thank you for listening today. If you want more Dulas content, continue to subscribe and I'll bring more of it to you. Like this video if you, want to, if you want to know what a man is. If you figured out what a man is, like this video. If you're struggling to be a man, like the video, watch the video. And just like, just like me, I'm struggling to become a good, a good man like Christ. We all need to grow in this area and, and society will benefit and will flourish. We all become more and more like Christ. So thank you for listening today and I'll see you on the next episode of Dulas.